Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, that you're a God who's spoken to us and that you've spoken to us clearly in your word. And Father, as we come to your word today, let us hear what you have to say. And Father, do what you command us to do. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I think one of the things is when we come to Romans 4, the first thing that we think about is the whole issue of faith. And I guess if you remember back to Andrew's talk in the beginning of this semester, chapters 1 to 3 of Romans, you actually see that lurking in the background already. And uh, you remember the great passage, the great statement in, in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, or everyone who has faith, same word there, to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. And if you've been reading uh, Romans, you, you see that it's all through chapter 3 of Romans, uh, verses 22, verses 26, 27, 30, 31. It's all through there. The word faith, it's all been lying in the background. And so verse 27, for example, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by a, lo- a law of faith. Right? Faith is the issue that's been b- behind Romans uh, all this way. But one of our problems is, whenever we come to modern English, faith is this mysterious word. It's a funny word. And I'm afraid that outside of Christianity, outside the people of faith, that, that word is really hard to understand. It, I think for most people out there who are not Christians, who are not the people of faith, think of faith as an irrational thing. Or, or more than irrational, a rational thing. It's got no logic, no rationality. You can almost put it in a, in a series of scenarios like this, right? Uh, if I'm certain about something... I know it. If something's probable, uh, then I'll believe in it. But if something's unlikely, unprovable, if it's ridiculous, well, then I'll have faith in it. Uh, that's how the word's used today, I think. And so people talk about a leap of faith, sort of like a leap into the dark or something like that. Uh, th- there's no possibility of knowing. It's pretty stupid. Well, then you have faith. Our question then is working out what faith is. What is this faith? Now, while what faith is and, and how we have faith and what, what, what it means is probably our question. I don't think it's a question of Romans chapter 4. I think it actually asks a different question. I think one of the things that it's concerned with is a whole relationship between law and faith, how those two things work together. Uh, and one of the things Romans 4 does is it puts those two things together as it's worked out in the person of Abram. In the person of Abraham, you see those two things come together. And I guess there's probably another way of asking that question, how law and faith work together. It's probably the question of who are the children of Abraham? Who's the offspring of Abraham? Who are the children of promise? That's the question that I think Romans 4 is actually asking. And you sort of think, well, that's a pretty dumb question to ask. It's got no relevance to me now. I I, I don't know who the offspring of Abraham are. I don't want to know who the offspring of Abraham are. What's the offspring of Abraham got to do with it? But I think it's actually a very important question. You see, Muslims, they have it as their question because they think that they're the children, they're the offspring of Abraham because they're the descendants of Ishmael, Abraham's eldest child. And the Jews, it's their question as well. See, the Jews think that they're the offspring of Abraham because they're the children of Isaac, the the special child of Sarah, the wife of Abraham. And well, Christians, Christians think that we're the descendants of Abraham, we're the children of Abraham, and indeed, we're going to be the inheritors of the kingdom of heaven because we're the descendants of Abraham. Not because of our direct lineage. All these religions want to be descendants of Abraham because it's being the children of Abraham, being the offspring of Abraham, means that you're going to get the inheritance. 
means that you're going to get the promise of God. So we all claim it, but which one is a genuine heir of Abram? Well, let's look at chapter 4. And I think probably the easiest way into chapter 4 of Romans is through verses 16 and 17. And I think it's here that we see the principle that Paul is expounding, the, promise, uh, the, the principle of promise by faith. That's a principle, and I think you see it there. Verse 16, it's right on the top of the page. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now there we have the key verse, I think. And I guess if, if I was a Bible marker, I'd probably underline those, those verses, highlight them, whatever you do with them. And not because, you know, they're, they're, they're very memorable that that's an important verse. Not, not the sort of verses that, you know, you make into a tapestry and hang over your bed or something like that. But I think in understanding these verses, it actually opens up the whole of chapter 4. What, what's the promise there? Right? I, I think it's here that you get it. Verse 13 um, uh, that, that verse 13 and 14 actually open up the verses, uh, chapter, chapter 4. Uh, it's all about the promise that comes by faith. And the first question you've got to ask is, what is his promise? What is his promise? What is the promise that the offspring will be heir of the world? The offspring will be the heirs of the world. That they've got the keys to the inheritance. Verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For, it, for if it is the adherents of the law who are at, to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Verse 16, that is why it depends on faith. It doesn't come by law, it comes by faith. And verse 16, that is why it's the conclusion of all the argument that's actually gone beforehand. It's the conclusion, and it's there, that the promise is the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he will be the heir of the world. Not by law, but by righteousness of faith. And of course those promises are found in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. Uh, those are the promises there. That, that they would have the land. That they would be a great nation. That through Abraham, blessings and curses will go to the world. Right? If you've got difficulties remembering that, remember the word lob. L-O-B. Land, offspring, blessing. That's the great promises that's going to go to his offspring. And verse 16, therefore, is a promise that is by grace, you see there. First thing, the summary. The promise that is by grace. Secondly, it's guaranteed to everybody. And thirdly, it's got to do with the faith of Abraham. And in your outline there, you actually see that that's the way we're going to look at it. Yeah? That, that's the way that we structured the talk. But you actually see them, as we look at the structure of the talk, it all actually comes from verse 16. So verses 1 to 8, uh, it, it's all about resting on grace. It's guaranteed to all people. That's verses 9 to 15. And it has to do with the faith of Abraham. That's verses 18 to 25 to the end of the chapter. Now, you see how am I saying that verse 16 is actually the key to the rest of the chapter? And I think it actually gives the structure of the, the chapter. Well, the structure of today's talk, which I hope follows the structure of the chapter. It's for you to weigh up whether that's the case. Well, let's have a look at verse 16 again. The promise comes by grace. And the first section... Right, remember what grace means. Grace means generosity, doesn't it? Right, it means unmerited favour, undeserved gift. And you see, back in that first part of chapter 4, verses 1 to 8, that's what it's trying to say. Pick up the contrast with me in verses 4 and 5. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. 
And to the one who does not work, but trust him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. That's a principle. I've got a bank account, and you probably got a bank account. And in that bank account, in my bank account anyway, every Thursday tomorrow, uh, my bosses from my medical work, uh, they put my salary in there. And if they don't put my salary, my salary in there, and on Friday when I log on to the internet and I find out my balance, if, if my balance hasn't gone up by my salary, I'm going to get pretty upset. And, and on Friday when I go into work, I'm actually going to say, hey, listen, the money hasn't been paid in, right? Uh, this is my right. It's my due. I've worked for it. I've earned the money. And they've got to pay the money. Verse 4, it's a Jew, it's a matter of obligation. Now, when someone works, his wages are not counted as a gift. Oh, thanks very much for it, but it's a Jew. It's my Jew, it's my earnings. I want it now, or I'm going to sue you. <coughs> no, I won't, I promise. <laughs> but I could very well say to you, right, which I will, right, my first baby, my first child is due on June the 17th. Uh, um, now, that's just a few weeks' time, right? Um, but I'll tell you my bank account details. It's 0542054621. Write that down. Um, St. George Bank Forest Way Branch. And, and there are the details, right? Put, please put your gifts to me and Sharon and the baby in there. Now, at that point, if you don't pay in any gifts, I can't come back and say, come on, it's your obligation. It's your due. I'm a staff worker at Sydney University. You've got to do this, right? It's a matter of gift. It's undeserved. It's not an obligation. I can't sue you. Verse 5, to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. The reality of what Paul is saying is this, that when it comes to righteousness, the account which operates is the account of verse 5. That is, righteousness does not come to our account because of merit, because of something that we deserve or earned. It doesn't come by obligation or due. Righteousness comes to our account by way of gifting, by grace. And Abraham is an inherently righteous man. It was credited to him. It was given to him. It was given to him freely. And so the scriptures concerning Abraham's righteousness see that it's a matter of grace and faith, which actually excludes boasting. If you can remember that far, back to chapter 3, verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. There's no boasting in faith. There's no boasting in grace. You see, if I'm right with God, if I'm standing righteous in God's sight, if I'm justified because of merit, because of the things that I've done, because I've been a good, moral, upright person, then my righteousness would actually be a source of boasting, wouldn't it? My standing before God would be a, 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 a thing of boasting. And if I was to say to you, I'm a righteous person, what am I saying? I, I'm actually saying that with my chest out, with my head held high, because I'm saying, I'm a good person. I'm a person that's satisfied the requirements. I've got lots of merit to boast of. I can boast of them. But if my righteousness actually doesn't come from merit, Right? If I'm right with God because God has sent his son into the world to pay the penalty for me, to, to defeat Satan and defeat sin, then when I say, I'm a righteous person, I'm saying, I'm a wretched person who has been forgiven. There's no boasting in that, is there? I can't boast of myself there. See, faith in the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ removes boasting. I can boast of my wages. I can boast. I can't boast of my gift. What I do is I thank the giver. 
I don't boast and brag myself. I say, thank you. I can't boast of the gift that's been given to me. I can only thank them. I can only thank the giver. See, I can go to my wife and I say, you know, those EU people, they're so generous, they're so lovely, they give me all these gifts. June 17, remember? Um, <laughs> but I'm no longer boasting about myself, am I? Fundamental difference there. And so either side of those two verses, you actually see examples in the Old Testament. The first is Abraham in verse 2, which is a quote from Genesis 15, verse 6. And the second one comes in verses 6 to 8, which is David, which is a quote from Psalm 32. And all those things there, it's saying it's not a matter of what they've done. It's something they couldn't do. It's a matter of grace. It's a matter of generosity. And that's the principle of chapter 4, verse 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. For if it was merit, it wouldn't be by grace. It would be your wage. It'd be what you achieved. It would be a desert. But it's not. It's grace. It's by generosity. Please don't rob God of his generosity. Now, the second part of the chapter and the second part of the principle of verse 16 is that it's guaranteed to all, to each and every, any and anywhere. Right? Note that it's guaranteed. Right? Once again, if it's due to my performance, then I, there's no guarantee. I have no idea what I'm going to be like tomorrow. I'm not going to have any idea what I'm going to be like the day after. But what Paul says, it's guaranteed because it's a declaration of God. And it stands firm of the guarantee of his word. Verse 16, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace, yes, and be guaranteed. Not because of anything I've done, it's guaranteed to all his offspring. Now notice who, to whom it's guaranteed. To all Abraham's offspring. But who are they? Who are they? Is it Ishmael and to the Muslims? Is it Isaac and the Israelites, the lost tribes of Israel or something? To whom is this promise being given? Is it to the circumcised? Who are they? And that's where verses 9 to 12 deal with the circumcision group. And it says in verses 9 to 12, no, no, it's not the circumcision group. How do we know? Well, because Abraham wasn't circumcised in verse 9. Verse 9, it's, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. See, the counting in righteousness actually happened back in chapter 15 of Genesis. And circumcision wasn't actually given to him until chapter 17 in Genesis. 14 years later, he was declared right with God when he was uncircumcised. Not after he was circumcised. Well, what place is circumcision? Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. What's circumcision? It's a sign. It's a seal. Right? It was not the way by which he became right. It was a declaration that you're okay. It's a sign of that. It's a seal of that. Really important to know the difference between signs and the reality, I think. Uh, one of the things uh, I have is I've got a, a mother and father who comes from overseas, who comes from Hong Kong. And so uh, one of the things I do often is actually to get them from the airport. And on my drive from Kalani Heights, where I live, uh, to the airport, I see lots of airport signs, right? Little airplanes on the, on the green, big green sign. And the thing is, you've got to know the difference between the sign and the reality. If I stop at the sign and say, I'm here, you, you, you've got it wrong. <laughs> Circumcision was a symbol of being one of God's people. 
But it was a it was a declaration of God that you were right with him, verse 11. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Ah, well, does that mean that you shouldn't be circumcised? That if you're circumcised, you're not the child of Abraham? Well, that can't be the case. Look at verse 12. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Circumcision wasn't the issue. If you're uncircumcised and had the faith of Abraham did, then you will be a child of Abraham. The promise is not to the circumcised or the uncircumcised, but to the one who had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Abraham had faith in God. The key thing is faith, not the circumcision. And in verses 13 and 15, he pushes it a bit further. What about the law? Well, it's not the law either. The law and faith are two distinct things. It's not just badges that you wear. It's not just a crowd you hang around with. It's not just the thing that you claim makes you special. It's not. It's not those things that make you, you know, in the genetic line of Abraham or something like that. Verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be an heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, Faith is null and the promise is void, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. It's a free gift. They're two distinct things. Don't be silly like that. It's either the promise of God or it's a law. It can't be both. What the law does is condemn you. The more you know of the law of God, the more you'll know that you're sinful and deserving of judgment. It's something quite different. The gospel about faith means I trust not myself, but somebody else. That's the thing that's been going on. It rests on grace, not in my own abilities, but what God has done. It's grace. And it's to open to everyone who has faith, not in themselves, but faith in something that's external. Anybody can be that lion, can be the heirs, if they have faith. Uh, some men had a friend from an ethnic background whose great desire uh, was to be in the army. The only problem was, uh, this man couldn't catch on to English. And in order to be in the army, well, you had to speak English, really. Uh, you had to understand the commands that were being made. Uh, and the general was going to visit. He was visiting. A and it was his last hurdle to get over. Uh, if you could get past the conversation with the general, well, you could probably stay into the army. A and so his friends tutored him, made sure that he knew the right answer. And his friends said to him, look, uh, the general's most probably going to ask you a few questions. Right? Uh, he'll ask you, for example, how long have you been in the army? Two. That's the answer. Two. Then he asks you, how old are you? 22 is the answer. Uh, then he'll ask you, is the food good? And are they treating you well? Both is the answer. That's all you have to remember. 2, 22, both. Say it. 2, 22, both. Right? Got it. The general comes, he asks him, uh, how old are you? 2. How long have you been in the army? 22. Uh, do you take me for an idiot or a fool? Both. <laughs> My friends, it's not just about having the right answer. But imagine if you come before God on the great last day and God says to you, why should I allow you into heaven? That, that's the question that comes from the uh, evangelism explosion, uh, evangelism tract. See, if the way you get into heaven is on the basis of merit, because of, of what I've done, because of some badges, because of my lineage, if that's the case, then you're going to say, well, because I've done this, this, or this. Or you're going to say, well, because I haven't done that, that, and that, because you haven't wanted me to. 
You know, because I've been a good boy, because, well, I've actually endured all those EU public meetings. I was in the right crowd, because I, I, I. But if you come by faith, then before the last great day when God says, why should I be letting you in? You say, well, because Jesus has done for me what I could never do. It's all because of grace. It's because of what you have done. See how it removes boasting? See how it creates humility? That we can be children of Abraham, not because of what we've done, but by God's grace and through faith. And it's not the silly kind of humility, you know? Uh, or shucks, you know? Uh, I'm not really good. I mean, everybody wins Wimbledon sometimes in their life, don't they? You know, that kind of humility that's just blah. It's a true humility that says, no, it's not me, but it's you, God. And you're the one who deserves all glory and honour. So the promise comes by faith, and it's guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Yeah, to the Jew who own the law and have faith like the faith of Abraham, and to the Gentile who mightn't own a copy of the law, but have the faith of the faith of Abraham. To all, but only on the basis of grace and faith. The grace and generosity of God met in the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, in his promises. The faithful law-owning circumcised Jew and the faithful uncircumcised non-law-owning Gentile who have the faith of Abraham. And therefore, Abraham is their father. You know why? Abraham, verse 17, is to be the father of many nations. That was a promise back in Genesis. The word nation is a funny word there, really. Uh, you know how else it can be translated as? It can be translated as the word Gentiles. Back in Hebrew, it's the Goyim. Abraham is going to be the father of many Goyim. The Goyim are the pagans, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, the barbarians. Abraham is going to be the father, not just of Israel, he's going to be the father of many nations. Australians, East Timorese, the newest nation, even the Chinese, the father of many who have faith just like Abraham. Which actually leads us to ask now, what is this faith of Abraham? And so closer to the question that we originally started with, what is faith? What does this faith thing mean? And you see it there in verses 17 to 22. Abraham's descendants are his heirs and have faith just like Abraham. And so he's the model of justifying faith. He's the father of faith. Well, what is his faith like? I'm going to mention a couple of things. There's lots more. Firstly, it's objective. That faith has an object. All faith does, actually. But his faith does here. Verse 17. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. What is the object of Abraham's faith? Remember, believe is the same word as faith. It's in God. But not just any old God. Right? God who is, what is it there? Life-giving. Creative. He has faith in God who can give life to the dead and who can create out of nothing. He has faith in the creative God. The creator and resurrecting God. But it's also in this God who creates, who can resurrect the dead, who makes promises in verses 20 and 21. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he has promised. His faith is in God who brings the dead back to life. 
His faith is in God who creates out of nothing. His faith is in God who makes promises and carries them through. Friends, faith always has an object. It's not just faith in itself. An usual illustration that we often give is, what's actually holding you up off the floor at the moment? Is it your trust in the chair? Is it your faith? Or is it the chair in themselves? It's the chair, isn't it? It doesn't matter how strong your faith is. You move out to the aisle and you try to sit down on your faith. It's just not going to work. It was Paul Little who said in his book, Know Why You Believe, uh, he says you can have strong faith in a weak bridge. And if you try to get across this gully, you'll fall in the drink. But even if you have weak faith in a strong bridge, you're going to get across. You want to grow in your faith? Well, know the object of your faith. Spend time knowing him who makes promises. Spend time him who creates out of nothing. Spend time knowing him who, resurre who resurrects the dead. And Abraham trusted this God to be the father of many. Uh, one of the things that I said was that in a few weeks' time, in about four weeks, Sharon and I are going to have a baby. And if we're going to have a baby girl, we're going to call her Anastasia, uh, which is not a pop singer's name, but um, it, which actually means uh, resurrection in the Greek. And if we're going to have a, a baby boy, we're going to call him Nathaniel, which means uh, a gift of God uh, in the Hebrew. But not many of you knew that, right? Names to us don't mean much. See, God said to Abraham, you're going to become father. And a little while later, he actually says to him, you're going to be the father of many. That's why I'm actually changing your name from Abram, which means dad, to Abraham, which means big daddy, right? Um, <laughs> now, the problem Abraham had all along was that he didn't have any children. Uh, that's a very embarrassing thing, right, if you walked around. Uh, see, because unlike us, who don't know the meaning of names, right, we actually, they actually knew what names meant. And so you can imagine it, right? Abraham's walking around and they say, uh, someone meets him and says, hello, what's your name? My name's Abram. Oh, your name's father. Yes, great. How many kids have you got? None. <laughs> now, you meet him a little while later and you say, hi, Abram, how are you going? Oh, well, now I've changed my name. Oh, that's great. I thought Abram was a pretty silly name. What's your name now? Dinks or something. No, no, it's Abraham, big father. Ah, oh, well, you've got a whole new harem, have you? Lots of new kids. No, no, I've still got the same number of children as last time. This man's weird. <laughs> right, this man's name is weird. It's a very strange thing. But he trusted that God would do it for him, even though he was too old. Even though his body was like many of us feel, as good as dead. Well, at least how I feel this morning. And Sarah's womb was barren, also dead as good as dead in verse 19. And yet he still believed. You see, that's the point. He believed God could bring life out of the dead. He believed that God is the one who can create out of nothing. He could create a nation out of nothing. Because God has created the universe out of nothing. He could create a nation out of him. See, because the second observation that we'd like to make is that this, this faith, this faith isn't just a leap in the dark. Abraham was fully convinced have a look at verse 21. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he has promised. It's a rational faith, friends. Abraham's faith was rational. He was convinced, he was persuaded. That is, faith in God and his promises isn't a leap in the existential dark or something like that. It's not irrational. But he was resting on what he knew. He was assured and he was convinced. He believed God created the universe. 
Therefore, if he believed that God created the universe out of nothing, well, he believed that he could bring the dead back to life. And therefore, well, that means that he can create life out of him in his old age. That he could be a father of many people. It's not irrational. It's a perfectly reasonable thing to accept that promise to believe upon it. Christians are the same. We believe that we'll be raised up on the last day because of the evidence of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not irrational. It's not unreasonable. We may be mistaken. We may be wrong. But as an exercise of the mind, we're fully convinced that because Jesus rose from the dead, death is not the end. Because he rose from the dead, he has conquered sin and death. Because he rose from the dead, he's the one through whom we still will also rise from the dead. It's a rational, reasonable thing to believe if you hold that Jesus rose from the dead. And so to our faith. Abraham is the father of faith. And notice how, he, how Paul puts it in verse 24. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Genesis was written for us. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Not just back there, back then. Not just a record somehow for posterity or something like that. But those words in Genesis are written for us. For us. It's the Christian Bible, the Old Testament. It's not just written for that day, but it's written for us. That we might have his promise. Not that just Jews, but the Jews and Gentiles of faith to all the nations. What is it that we must believe? What is it that we have to believe? What's the promise to us? That we'll have children when we're old? When your wife is 90, then it's a good time to start a family? Is that the promise that is to us? No, no. The promise to us is that God who raised Jesus from the dead will give us life also. That God who raised Jesus from the dead vindicated him. The suffering servant of Isaiah 53, such that we can now stand right with God, justified. For if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we would still be in our sins. Our sins would not be forgiven or paid for. But Jesus not only died, but is risen again vindicated, was raised to bring in the judgment day, to rise and sit at the right hand of God and to intercede for us. We've been persuaded that God raises the dead and it's the Lord Jesus Christ who brings us the righteousness of God. We're justified through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ's death and his resurrection on our behalf. Do you want the promises of God? Do you want to be the heirs of Abraham? To the one whom God's all God's promises hold and come. Well, are you children of Abraham? Are you a child of Abraham? Because that promise rests on grace. It comes by faith. And it's the quality and the, and the shape of Abraham's faith. Faith is relying on what you know in the present for the future. It's relying, trusting, depending. It's not irrational. It's rational. It's trusting and depending on what you already know. And if you know about the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, then you can rely on it. You can trust in it. But if you don't know about it, you need to find out more, don't you? And if you're a person who don't know about the death of Jesus, his resurrection, then can I encourage you to find out more? That's what those comment cards are for. That you can write on the back, look, I need to find out more about this so that we can get back to you and follow you up and to do some Bible studies with you, to look into it. But if you know that, if you know that, then there's no boasting, is there?
There's only thanking God and boasting in God, rejoicing in Him. And yet this faith is not just for the future, some distant future or something like that, is implication for us now. It's not just there, but it's now. And that's what we're going to look at next week. See, we're going to look at the first half of chapter 5 in Romans next week, and the first 11 verses, which actually starts off with, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, all these things follow. If you know that you've been justified by faith, look forward to next week, because it's going to be great seeing what those benefits are now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can be children and offspring of Abraham, that we can be uh, of the same line of Abraham because of your grace, because of faith, the faith of the quality of Abraham, that it's rational and that it's objective. And Father, we pray for uh, those of us here who don't know that, that we'll continue to look into that object of our faith, look at Jesus and his death and his resurrection. And Father, for those of us who do know that, for us to continue to rejoice in that, And Father, we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.